1: where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Faceoff wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, everybody, this is Jordan. I'm excited to present to you today one of my favorite Rewind episodes, How to Financially Make Things Work in a High Cost of Living Area. This is a great episode. It was done just at the beginning of the pandemic. So remember, times were slightly different, but the messages from then are still important today. I hope you enjoy the show.
2: Hi, this is Bobby Rebell. I'm Kathleen Hutchins. Hi, this is Jamila Soufran. Hi, this is Farnoosh Tarabi, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast.
1: This morning was priceless. I put the earbuds in and turned on fresh air with Terry Gross and walked out my door. Five minutes later, I was on the lake. To the right was Northwestern University and landfill and two large athletic fields with the young Northwestern football players practicing, hoping they'll be able to start the 2020 season. On the left was graffitied concrete leading to an embankment and then the vast, overwhelming Lake Michigan. Beautiful. This is how I spend most mornings. But I misspoke before. I said priceless. But really, this lifestyle that I now lead came at a cost. When I moved back to Evanston, Illinois after residency, I didn't put much thought into the cost of living. I just knew that this was the place that I grew up in, and this is the place that my parents lived. Yet it became clear very quickly that there was a cost to coming back to my favorite city. In the area I live in, to get a four-bedroom house back even in 2002, you were going to spend at minimum $500,000. And I quickly learned that after purchasing that said expensive house, there was also incredibly hefty real estate taxes. In fact, I pay $15,000 a year for real estate taxes, $15,000 a year plus a $25,000 a year mortgage. And then I had kids and my daughter was at the local public school and was getting bullied mercilessly. And we made the best decision we've made in the last decade. We pulled her out and sent her to private school. And she is so incredibly happy now. It was a great decision that cost us $25,000 a year. And my wife works and I work and we're busy professionals and need help around the house. So add in a nanny and a housekeeper and that's another $25,000 a year. So if you add that all up just from the get-go, I have a $90,000 a year budget, and we haven't even talked about food or transportation. So it really knocks me out of my chair when I read these blog posts where people are talking about living on thirty dollars or $40,000 a year. To me, it's a really a non-starter because of where I live. And I can't even imagine if I lived in some other places in the United States what if I lived in San Francisco? What if I lived in Hawaii? What if I lived in New York City? How could I manage my budget then? And would living in this high cost of living area be worth it? And speaking of a high cost of living, are you looking to elevate your asset allocation, guard your portfolio against volatility? Equity multiple can help. Invest in professionally managed commercial real estate starting with just $5,000. Establish passive income streams while experienced asset managers go to work on your behalf. Sign up at equitymultiple.com forward slash earn and receive an enhanced return on your first investment. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash earn. Bobby Rebell is a journalist, anger woman, and author of the book, How to Be a Financial Grownup. She is the host of the podcast, The Financial Grownup, as well as co-host of the Money with Friends podcast, along with the great Joe Salcihai. Bobby, good morning. It's always fun to get a chance to make fun of Joe Salcihai if we have a moment to. So is there anything you want to say about him?
0: Well, we're going to talk about living in a high-cost area of living, and Joe is totally mobile at this point. He can't make up his mind, so we'll see where Joe lands. How's that? Yeah. At least at least everyone here has, has a firm decision.
1: Yeah, at least we all know where we're going to live at the We moment. all know where we're
0: going to live. Yeah. Joe is completely undecided at this point.
1: Kathleen Hutchins is an active member of the Earn & Invest Facebook group and the author of Cooking Up Fire, the blog. Kathleen, it seems that food and finance are intimately tied together.
3: Yes, it is. A lot of people spend the majority of their non-transportation or uh, housing budget on food.
1: Yeah, and certainly my intro, we hadn't even got into food costs. So that can just You can just imagine living in some of these high-cost-of-living areas how much we're actually spending. Farnoosh Tarabi is an acclaimed journalist and TV personality. She is the author of several books, including her latest, When She Makes More. She is also known for award-winning podcast So Money. Farnoosh, the title of your first book and your podcast, I believe, is a throwback to the 1990s movie Swingers and Vince Vaughn's famous line. Do you think most of your listeners realize that?
2: I am absolutely dating myself with these titles. I would like to think that that's a pretty common pop culture reference, but as time goes by, it's becoming more and more of an, an antique of, uh, of an expression.
1: Yeah, there's nothing that lets you know how old you actually are than when your pop culture references mm-hmm. are no longer relevant. So I think we still have a little bit of time on that one.
2: <laughs> I'm holding on to it as much as I can. <laughs>
1: Last but certainly not least, Jamila Souffrant left her corporate career to continue pursuing real estate, financial coaching, and her fantastic podcast, Journey to Launch. Jamila, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am excited to have all of you on. And today I'm going to get a little bit of help. I'm going to rely on my friends, Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda for a few quotes. Yes, I'm referring to the turn of the century. Dare I say, turn of the century? tv show sex and the city about four women coming of age in new york which i might have watched the whole series through two times maybe so let's start with a quote from carrie some people
2: are settling down some people are settling and
0: some people refuse to settle for anything less
2: than butterflies
1: Bobby, tell us a little bit about why you came to New York City. Was it your career?
0: It was my family. I wanted to be where my family was and my parents were here. My siblings are in the area and now my husband is from the area and his parents and siblings are also in the area. So I worked backwards from family. My career, actually, it would have been better if I had moved because I originally was looking at doing local local news, but I got married. Um, in my 20s. And so I ended up staying in New York City and working my way up behind the scenes through financial television rather than local news so that I could be in New York with all of my family. And so I took the unusual career path. I think most people that want to be on-camera reporters kind of move up through the different TV markets. I had to do it. I, I mean, It's hard to say whether it's tougher or easier, but I did it in business news for that reason. And I did it working my way up from behind the scenes. And business news, by the way, does pay better. So that's of note, that if you do focus within your career, knowing that New York and the New York area was gonna be more expensive, that was definitely a key part in focusing on business news.
1: Two points from that. One thing people don't realize is when they criticize you for moving to a high cost of living area, how important family truly is, that a lot of people make these decisions because that's where their family is. The other is that sometimes the best paying jobs are in cities and cities are expensive.
0: And let's be honest, family is also a lot of soft financial costs. So for example, many people have free or heavily subsidized babysitting because if you have Families and aunts and uncles in the area that can take your kid when you want to go to, say, a movie night. I mean, you might get a babysitter if it's a big event, but then there's those discretionary nights, especially when you have young children, where do you really want to spend all in, you know, $100 to go to the movies, which is what it's going to cost to get the babysitter and all the organization just to go see a movie in a theater? You're probably not going to do that, but if Uncle John will come over and hang out with, you know, your baby, then it makes it a lot more easy. So a lot easier. So I think family is also a financial benefit and people forget the, the, the value of that financially as
2: well.
1: Kathleen, you were born in Hawaii and moved mainland. I believe the last place you lived was Texas. Talk about the decision to move back to Hawaii and why you did.
3: So that's correct. Well, I wanted to move back home to be with my family, just like Bobby said. It's kind of a long story, but basically, I have a coworker that he talked about retiring to Hawaii all the time. So he talked to me about it because he wanted desperately to move here. Three years before he's retiring, he was found by the cleaning lady at his desk, slumped over. He had passed away. He didn't make it to retirement. So at that point, I'm looking and going, should I wait? Until I reach retirement age, what if I don't reach retirement age to go back home and to be with my family? I miss my grandmother's passing away because I didn't have enough vacation time to go back home. I went from D.C. to back and forth. So there is a lot of consideration, even though it was more expensive to live, obviously, in Hawaii than in Texas.
1: The name of your blog is Cooking Up Fire. That refers to financial independence. Retire early. Certainly, that's not the common theme for the FIRE movement to say, hmm, maybe I will leave early, go live in a high cost of living area, maybe put off retirement till later or when I'm not even as financially sound. That doesn't go with the normal dogma, does it?
3: No, usually you're talking about people who go, oh, geo arbitrage. I'm going to live in an expensive city where I can make a lot of money and stash away as much as I can, get a second job, do a side hustle, and then move somewhere cheaper as part of my strategy for being able to make my retirement funds, as it were, stretch further or you know, whatever they end up doing. Instead of retiring, they end up doing a passion project, for example. In my case, honestly, I was planning on retiring and then moving, but... There was just this opportunity at work that allowed me to work from home in Hawaii with a lot of extras added to it. We don't need to get into details. And the timing was just right. I just managed to catch the mar- the housing market right when it did a little tiny dip. <laughs> and I wanted to have a baby. And I want, like Bobby said, I wanted to have somebody to be able to help watch my kids. My mom ball told me she was watching them.
1: Farnish, let's talk a little bit about the immigrant story. You were born to Iranian parents, although I believe you were born and grew up in Worcester, Mass. I'm married to an Iranian woman, so I'm very familiar with kind of the Iranian immigration story. And if you look around the United States, where Iranians tend to congregate, you end up in places like New York and D.C. and L.A., and even outside in Canada, in Toronto, I mean, these are really high cost of living areas. Do you think there's a part of the immigrant story that pulls people to these big cities that happen to be high cost of living?
2: I think the big pull, at least with our family and our family's friends, was the education. So New York, Toronto, where we settled in Worcester, Massachusetts, all near universities and Yeah, so getting your PhD is standard in Iranian culture. Uh, My father and mother, it was never about, are you going to go to college? It was like, where are you going to go to grad school? You know, they're still trying to get my husband to get his MBA. Like, they are so obsessed with school. So, I think school plus climate also is what drives the immigrants from Iran, at least, to these places. I know LA is fertile ground for immigrants to come and and not only enjoy the weather that they were enjoying in say Shiraz or Tehran, but also real estate. Iranians are obsessed with real estate. They probably identified some of these areas as where you could experience substantial real estate growth. A lot of the people in LA who Iranians who've made their wealth have done so through entrepreneurship and real estate, and where better to do that where there's sunny skies, so I think that from my end, I think those are the draws
1: Jamila, I saw you shaking your head as Farnush was speaking. Your family immigrated from Jamaica and ended up in Brooklyn. Why Brooklyn
4: well that's. Similar to that story of probably, like, Iranian immigrants and most immigrants, you know, these are, like, the major, like, settling points for so many immigrants because of the access and, you know, it's the major airports and ways to get here. So you have a lot of Caribbean people who end up same places, you know, like, in terms of, like, New York City, Canada, Florida. So a lot end up in Florida. Atlanta. So a lot on the Eastern coast, you'll find that a lot of Caribbean families land. And that's where my family landed in Brooklyn.
1: So the common theme seems to be climate, but there's also a part about, you know, opportunities, education, entrepreneurship tends to land you in expensive cities. Let me read two other quotes from Sex in the City. Beauty is fleeting, but a rent controlled apartment overlooking the park is forever. I spent $40,000 on shoes and I have no place to live. I will literally be the old woman who lived in her shoes. Bobby, tell me a little bit about the economics of your first apartment in New York City as an adult.
0: So first of all, let's just note that the character of Carrie Bradshaw made some poor economic choices. (laughs) (laughs) Just to put that out there yeah i i think that the importance of real estate and the importance of getting a good real estate situation cannot be underestimated so knowing that i wanted to live in new york city kind of indefinitely in my 20s i, I made that decision that that's where i wanted to stay i did decide to invest in owning real estate at a very young age and i bought at a time not that different from what's going on now in the city where prices were falling and it was very scary to buy this first piece of real estate it was it, not very expensive. It was ninety thousand dollars, which even then was not expensive. Even you know you can factor in real uh, inflation and all that. That was that was pretty cheap for a decent sized studio. And I did it because I felt I wanted the security of having roots. One of the terrifying things about being in a high cost of living area is if you do rent at the market rate, which is something I don't know if that's unique to New York, but if you have protections like a rent control department, that may be different. There's all kinds of restrictions there too. But if you have a market rate apartment, you're very vulnerable to being evicted or having your rent raised. So I think, and that can really mess with your math, whatever budget you put together. So I really valued early on owning real estate. And because of that, I've been able to flip higher and higher and higher. That said, real estate is always vulnerable and it's not a liquid asset. So because we now own a family size apartment on the Upper East Side, and there's a lot of uncertainty about New York and New York City real estate right now, that is something that We're not that happy about these days because we do see the value, the likely value. We're not selling our apartment, but the the value, you still have that number in your head, probably going down. And that's a little bit unsettling.
1: It's funny because most people outside of New York just think of the prices going up and up and up. But that's not true. There are actually downturns in the market, even in New York.
0: No, it went down. We bought this apartment that I'm in in 2007 and the values did go down. Of course, if you don't sell, you don't take the loss, but they did go down soon after that. And then they were up as of January. We were in great shape and now they're falling and there's really not a lot of buying going on. So we really don't know where it will be. As of now, our plan is not to move until my son is done with school, which is another six years till he goes to college. But then we will, if we don't move out of New York City, we will probably downsize within New York City because it is a lot to carry.
1: Kathleen, let's talk about the cost of living. Hawaii is another place where real estate prices are fairly high, but it's not just real estate. Talk about the price of a gallon of milk in Hawaii or filling up your gas tank.
3: Okay, first off, I can't talk about the price of filling up the gas tank because I have not I have not filled up my gas since February. We also have an electric car, so I have no idea what it costs to get gas right now. But as for things like a gallon of gas, you know, you see images people post on Facebook where they're like, "Oh, it's $8 for a gallon of milk in Hawaii." Yes, but that's the primo not on sale price. If you look over one slot to a slightly different brand, that one's on sale for $5.29 a gallon, which is about almost half price of what people are splashing up on, on Facebook or on the news. So there's areas where if you do selective shopping and you compare prices and you're willing to be flexible, you can save money on, this is probably the story for anybody anywhere.
1: Farnoosh, let's talk about anyone, anywhere. You, at the age of 22, were $30,000 in debt and living in New York City. And you wrote, you climbed out of debt in the most expensive city in the country. Wouldn't it have been easier to start somewhere else?
2: Hmm. Easy is relative, right? I had financial challenges, but it was otherwise awesome to be in New York City. And as Bobby mentioned, as a financial journalist, making relatively more than my cohorts who just graduated from Columbia, who were in Bumblebee, Arkansas, working for the Gazette and making like 11 cents an hour, having to get three other side hustles just to make rent. I realized I didn't want to be surfing the country not knowing where i'd be living i wanted to be in new york even if it meant not being say on camera the coveted broadcasting role i was like i'm happy i, I just love the industry i'd be i'll be a producer for the rest of my life but i don't want to sacrifice lifestyle and Proximity to my family, which you know, I was just a greyhound bus ride away from Massachusetts at this point, and the uh, the best advice anyone ever gave me was: if you get the chance to work in New York, even if it's just for a year or two, do it. If you are career driven, because then you take that network, you take that sort of glamour of working in New York and you go to some other part of the country and it is perceived well and you probably will be able to negotiate higher salary and start in that new market with a leg up and have that leverage there is some sort of you know there's there's a cachet to having worked in New York when you go to another market perhaps similar to like having worked a couple of years in London and then coming to New York City to try to find the international experience is sort of really valued a lot in the workplace. And so I I knew what I was doing. I knew that it was I was behind the financial eight ball, but also being in New York again access to having other job opportunities, those side hustles to try to pay down the debt and try to feel like I wasn't just constantly living paycheck to paycheck was I think more a, a lot available to me, I was babysitting, I was dog sitting, I was writing for freelance news. I was writing freelance for newspapers, and ultimately, at 26, I got a book deal. Would that have happened in another city? Maybe, but New York's also the publishing capital, so I, I like to think that New York granted me a lot of these opportunities that other cities and towns maybe there would have been a delay.
1: Jamila, does it get? easier to live in a high cost of living area. You've written about living in the Dumbo area of Brooklyn. And I believe you had a place which you really enjoyed living in. And the idea crossed your mind that if you sold it, because you could make a lot of money on selling it, that you might not have enough to move into another place in the same area. Doesn't that feel wrong in a sense? I mean, (laughs) almost like you're not making any headway.
4: Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I was born in Jamaica, but I literally feel like, you know, New York has been my home because I came here when I was about two years old. So there's an advantage to that. Like I've grown, this is all I've known is New York and specifically Brooklyn and this high cost of living area. So it's not much of a shock to me. It's not, you know, like it's one of those things where everyone like comes and marvels to go to Times Square and travels from all over the world. But, you know, growing across like just a skip away, it's really not that big a deal. <laughs> so I think that obviously helps with us and our decision to stay in New York for the moment. I'm in Brooklyn because this is where our family is. We have three kids and family is really important and support with having kids and being an entrepreneur now and, you know, my husband being a teacher. But to talk a little bit about Dumbo. So similar to Bobby, you know, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to buy something in Dumbo. So stands for down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass for people who are not in New York before it was what it is today. So it was literally like nothing was really that developed. It was just like a kind of unknown area. And I was lucky enough to buy a studio apartment. It was the cheapest thing that I was listed in the building. And I was like, okay, that one. And so, and luckily, by the time it closed, I, the, it, had, it had appreciated in value. And so I still own that today. And it's appreciated, obviously, since then. It's been over 10 years, I think, at this point. Yeah, definitely over 10 years since owning it. And yeah, like, I've gotten offers for people to buy it. And I'm just like, one, it's also a personal decision for me to want to keep it. And also, it just feels like, yeah, I could not, like, it's a studio apartment. Like, I, we have, we're a family of five now if we were to buy a two or three bedroom condo in the same area, like we, it'd be ridiculous. So my husband and I made the decision, even though I love downtown area of Brooklyn and Dumbo, I love the amenities to move further into Brooklyn, where at the time we bought the house prices were not as expensive. So we chose to move further away from the amenities and um, some of the diversity that you get closer to the city. And now we are in an area where we have a backyard, but it's a three family house with a a base of an apartment. So we consciously made that choice though, to, to say, okay, we want to stay in New York. We can't really afford to buy again in that area that we love. So let's move further away. And I just want to make another point that even coming further in wasn't that bad because my husband's family lives maybe three, four blocks away. So he, we are also used to this area too. And so it wasn't like it was a huge change. It was just it was just these are the decisions you make if you are going to stay somewhere like here, where can I actually afford to buy and you probably have to give up some amenities to to do something like this.
1: When you talked about possibly selling that loft, you said and I quote, I don't want to give up my small piece of the American pie. And I just find it interesting that this piece of real estate, this location to you meant a lot about kind of living the american dream
4: yeah i mean it's the best investment i've ever made in my life i feel like that has changed for my family like the trajectory of wealth you know it's also very personal because in that building like in dumbo i don't see a lot of people who look like me that own like black women black people like you know there are people there but it's not the majority and so and then you know around the corner there are, it's public housing where the, that is the majority, you know, it's mostly um, minorities And so I feel a real sense of pride being able to have done that. And it almost feels like it doesn't really matter how much someone offers me unless what they offer me can afford me to buy a bigger apartment that it's like, part of me feels like I have to do this for my people. Like we have to stay, I have to keep a piece of the pie for my family, for people to see that it's possible to do something like this, even though honestly I will be, I always say this, like times are different. And so, you know, I think I had like all the stars aligned for me to be able to do that. I think it's a lot harder now for um, people to get started in New York. um, If, It's not impossible. I still think there's glimmers of hope for people.
1: And Farnoosh, it's notable that you made a similar move early in the year as the pandemic was heating up. You left the city and moved to the suburbs of New Jersey. Talk about that decision to leave.
2: I just wrote about it for Bloomberg Opinion. It was like, because it is at some point. I'm sure we've all all New Yorkers here on the panel. You've thought about leaving, and at first, it's met with a lot of resistance because I, you know, 19 years in 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 New York City for me, such prosperity I earned living in New York, and I'm grateful to the experience. So I was almost feeling like betraying the city that gave me so much to leave. You know, and but at some, at some point, especially I think when you have children and you start to run the numbers, but also start to think about what are your values? We don't have family in New York. So it's, that was not the, there was no, that was not even a consideration. Um, We have actually more family now in Pennsylvania. So to move further West to New Jersey did make more sense for us, but really the, the real reasons, I would say the big reasons, one We just wanted more for our children in the sense of having space. We don't have the backyard that Jamila has. You know, if we did that, that would have been a huge help. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and we're living in this apartment that would have been fine otherwise, but now you're living under one roof, you're working under one roof, you're educating your kids. You know, it's like a lot of screaming in a box. And so our mental health was really also impacted, especially the kids especially me. I think we also, this is, this is probably the number one factor in talking to some real estate experts, like the reason a lot of families leave is because of the matrix that is New York City public school systems and public versus private school. We were educating our son in private school and his sister was soon to follow. Our, our kids are six and three now. And I did the math. I was like, do I really want to spend over a million dollars educating them until they graduate high school? Or would I rather have that money in the market or just sitting in a bank account waiting for them when they graduate to help them with starting a business or helping myself retire earlier? Staying in New York and choosing public over private frightened me because I'm pretty like I'm good at problem solving but New York City's public school system is a whole other thing and it was it did feel like rolling the dice a lot because to hear from parents the complaints about rezoning and testing and having to have send their high schooler on a subway, you know, an hour to go up to the Bronx to get the better high school. It, it to me that was tying my stomach into knots and so My husband and I are both public school educated. We were not, you know, private school parents. And sometimes I get that question like, are you private school parents or public school parents? And I'm like, are you basically asking me if I'm rich or poor? Like, what is this question? Because that's a loaded question. So we moved to New Jersey. And also, I found out that our son needs more special ed, which his private school was not going to afford. So I was paying more money for an aid. And I was like, this is. This is silly. You know, we should move and give them what they need. I'm close to target now. I've got a finished basement. Life is good. And then of course, in this environment, I don't really miss a lot. Like I wasn't even going to brunch. I wasn't really seeing my friends in the last couple of months. We felt like we sort of like left Brooklyn in the middle of the night unceremoniously in this pandemic. It was kind of sad, but also in a way didn't Give us that sad feeling of we were, you know, missing out. We just kind of, we just kind of moved, you know, sixteen miles across a river. Like it's not like we moved countries, it, it, but it does feel like you're, you're leaving forever. So I want to echo a lot of what
0: Farnoosh said. First of all, we bought this apartment, as I mentioned, that I'm in in 2007, and it was zoned for a very good public school, and they moved the line one block. And there you go. And that impacted our family tremendously. At the time that we moved, we were a family of three. We had our son, who's now 13, with us. And then we did not know, but we did have my stepchildren came to live with us when they were in fifth and ninth grade. And so we ended up with a three private school tuition family that was not the plan. And as I also mentioned, we had the recession happens then. And we weren't unfortunately we were impacted by the recession in terms of our careers. And so we were not in a position to move because to move, you have to have everyone has to be kind of on W-2s employed. And so we had this apartment that we had stretched to buy, which had gone down in value, and we had all these changes going on. So it was a very precarious few years, and we came out strong, which I'm very proud of. But all those things that Furnish talk about are, talks about is very real had i known about all of those things we probably would have been in the suburbs where my sister is she's in Westchester but we were really locked into new york city because we had made this decision to buy which i don't regret but i look back on and you know with a different information pattern we might have made different decisions. The kids had a wonderful experience in their private schools. They got into incredible colleges, have wonderful careers, are on track for great careers. It all worked out. But these are very real concerns. I mean, moving that line literally happened to me. And so it's very important to understand what you're getting into, even if a city like New York has some wonderful public schools.
1: In the first half of the show, Farnoush, Bobby, Kathleen, and Jamila talked about growing up in expensive cities. After the break, we discuss how you know when it's time to leave. But first, over 30,000 investors across the US are discovering a new way to build wealth. Equity Multiple brings you access to a diverse wealth generation ecosystem with cash-flowing real estate. Starting with just $5,000, you can allocate to professionally managed commercial real estate assets. Sign up in minutes, find investments that fit your strategy, and invest your desired amount through a streamlined, secured platform. Since 2015, Equity Multiple has delivered over $170 million in distributions to investors and 17.4% aggregate net return. Join the thousands of investors nationwide who are building stronger, more diversified portfolios through real estate investing. Sign up at equitymultiple.com forward slash earn and receive an enhanced return on your first investments. All investments involve risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Again, that is equitymultiple.com forward slash earn. After all, seasons change. So do cities. People come into your life and
2: people go but it's comforting to know the ones you love are always in
1: your heart. And if you're very lucky, a plane right away. Kathleen, tell me you moved from Texas back to Hawaii. Any regrets, anything you miss about Texas or was life any easier there? Well, the rent was certainly, you know what? Actually, no, it wasn't.
3: I thought that I was just thinking the rent was cheaper at the time, but I I just amortized my loan last year, so now my my mandatory mortgage is actually lower than my rent was in Texas. I mean, Texas is really good, and I miss my <laughs> friends in Texas. I, is that too trite to say?
1: <laughs> Not at all, Jamila. You described your life in corporate America, which you since have left. But you would commute three to four hours a day. And eventually, I believe after having your third child, you decided that that just wasn't an option anymore. You ever look at your life in a high cost of living area and think, hmm, if I had lived somewhere a little bit cheaper, I could have left corporate America years before this. And maybe life would have been easier. Maybe I would have become an entrepreneur sooner and it would have pushed me even farther. Does that ever enter your mind?
4: Yeah. So not really. So similar to Farnoosh, I feel that, you know, the opportunities that I was afforded the career trajectory that I had was because I was in New York. I often, when I was working in corporate America, I I would love, I love to like, to talk to my coworkers in other areas like Atlanta or the lower cost of area living. And they, even though the, the scale was adjusted for their income, like they still made really good money. So sometimes I would think, wow, if I lived in like Atlanta or Florida with this income, um, with or the income of a, a co-worker that lives there, like this would be even more amazing. But it was interesting having that reverse commute because I would drive those that hour and a half, two hours to New Jersey, and it was like another world. And um, well, and where I worked, also it wasn't very cheap either. You know, I, I I would live. I worked in an area that was the houses were high, but you got much more land and space than coming back into like a little apartment for the same price. So you know, I always say. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have had the, uh, I wouldn't have be chiseled into the Jamila. I am today without those experiences, without the commute, which forced me to listen to podcasts, which forced me to find out about financial independence. So I think that all worked out, but I think, you know, honestly, I am more open to moving, I believe than my husband. So that's the other thing. When you are in a partnership with someone, um, it's not just you and we have three kids and we have family. And so I always say, you know, I would give somewhere else a try. And, but my husband's actually more like planted in New York. He has, he just, he, this is what he knows. He's a simple man. He just kind of like wants to do the simple things. So I think too, that's also a consideration for people. Like if it was just me by myself, no kids, I may right now have made a choice to, you know, geo arbitrage, you know, and so my money can go longer. But I think when you have a family, like that's not just a decision that you make on your own. You do have to consider obviously your partner. So that's one of all the, the other reasons that we're, we're
1: here. Arnush Monday morning quarterback for me a little bit. Should you guys have left earlier or did you do it just right? We
2: had plans to leave prior to COVID-19. We actually put our apartment in Brooklyn on the market in September of 2019. Should we have moved sooner? You know, we had so much fun in Brooklyn. You know, we we really I feel like we sucked New York dry. We got everything we wanted out of it and we you know i'm a planner and i knew that this move like bobby mentioned earlier like real estate's not liquid and you know you need to buy yourself time to sell and then maybe rent for a little bit and then strike as another on another place so now with kids in school i'm trying to also align it with their school year so that we're, there are no interruptions and so we did start almost a year ago to plant the seeds to move We were selling in a down market, so that was a bummer, but we had no idea how fortunate we were when we closed on the sale of our Brooklyn apartment as sellers in February. And Had we dragged our feet or had we not been quick to close, we may not have gotten the the deal. The, The buyers may have gotten totally spooked and backed out, which has happened. And so while we didn't get, you know, the great price that maybe we would have in 2016 or whatever, we got out, you know, we got to cash out and we were there for 11 years. So it wasn't like we didn't make any money. We made nice, substantial equity, cashed out. We quickly moved into a short-term rental in the neighborhood to allow our kids to keep the, keep the routines, go to the same schools and just not have a disruption to our commutes and all of that. Then we actually bid on a couple houses lost because it was the spring market now and everybody wants to move in the spring to be in the suburbs by the school year, the next school year. And then March 22nd rolls around and everyone's sheltering in place. And there's one house that comes on the market that seems to check off a lot of the boxes. I... At first, said no way. I don't want to even go down this path because the market had its worst week since two thousand nine. You know, it just it didn't feel like the right time to be making such a big decision. And I was going back and forth. But our real estate agent said, "Look, just come take a look." They're requiring masks and gloves. It's an appointment only open house. So we went and we said, "Let's just make the offer. Let's let's bid asking price." Which prior to this week would have never gotten you a deal. We bid asking price, got the house and it was that weird week literally of 2020 where if you had bought a piece of property you probably came out strong because what happened now what's happening now and like subsequent months was back to that craze even worse where now people are really realizing they need to get the heck out get out of dodge in New York and 10 10 offers per house one house got 40 bids as if we're in a silent auction for a trip to Cancun this is a house people what are you doing it's crazy. Like, I'm so glad I avoided that, but people are like, Oh, you were so smart. I'm like, no, I was just the dumb fool who, you know, held her breath and made an offer on a house in a crazy week just because I had the equity. You know what I mean? Like I, I had all the ducks in a row and yeah, there was a lot that I didn't know, but I also knew like, if I didn't move, that's worse. Sometimes you have to make the decision and then deal with the consequences. that to me is more progress than just staying stationary and, and and continuing a life that is not happy is not fulfilling is is in some cases you know detrimental to your mental health and so we just we knew come high hell or high water, we had to leave, whether as renters or owners, like we had to go across the river.
1: I love what you just said about. Making the jump and taking a chance. It reminds me of one last quote from Carrie Bradshaw. There's a moment in every relationship where romance gives way to reality. Bobby, sum it up. Is it worthwhile and can you be financially responsible living in a high cost of living area? And I would add on to that, is it okay to leave?
0: Everyone should do what is right for them, given The options that they have. And I think what's great about what Farnoosh said is that she created choices for herself. So when she had to make the move, she was able to do so. My family is making some some choices right now. We spent a lot of this quarantine time at a family house, larger family house, I should say, that was a multi-generational house that was we had mixed feelings being there, but it had been for sale for a year and a half. And because of the opportunity presented by this situation, we were able to sell it, but now we don't have that house. So we've made some other decisions. My stepson, who's now 20 years old and is in college in New York City, could very well just, quote, com- I mean, it's not even commute. It's virtual school. Let's be honest. It's a little ridiculous. But we are going to have him move, as was originally planned, with his two college friends to an apartment. So he's it's off-campus housing. And school will probably be mostly remote, but we are going to do that because sanity, as Farnish mentioned. I mean, he needs to live as close a life to a college kid's life as we can give him. And the money is budgeted for that. So as he came home in March when they evacuated the NYU dorms and everyone had to get out. So he's been home for six months, not experiencing college as we would like him to. So we're going to have that, we're going to spend that money to get him to as close a college experience as possible. We're also likely to spend money for me to get to a workspace. I was using a workspace somewhat downtown that I really love, but because I don't want to go on the subways and I don't want to spend the time because our 13 year old is going to be doing virtual learning for now. There's a workspace that is a block and a half away that's not like a we work. It's more of a club, I would say, atmosphere, but I can work at it and do a lot of my writing there. And so we're gonna spend you know, a few hundred bucks a month for me to have this space a block and a half away where I can go for three hours in the morning, come home for lunch, make my son lunch, check in with him, make sure everything's okay, and then go back to the workspace for a few hours in the afternoon. And that's gonna be our planned routine in September. So we're making adjustments, but we have had those moments in the past couple of weeks where my husband had said to me, I mean, we got to figure out are we going to rent something for a couple months in the fall I mean what are we going to do because it's very tough and we're in a you know we're in a three bedroom three bath apartment for new york city that's not so bad but we do have adult children that would not normally be living at home my 23 year old stepdaughter would normally be traveling for work a lot or perhaps she'd be living with friends she's home the 20 year old is home and quote normally in the before, before COVID, they would be living their independent young adult lives. So we are in this apartment and we're making adjustments. And by the way, if your listeners have suggestions, send them my way. I
1: was about to say, Kathleen, can you give us some tips and tricks? I mean, you've been making a go at it in a very expensive city, Hawaii. How do you make it financially reasonable?
3: The honest answer is you earn a high income. But this month, I don't know if you know, I've been trying to live off of my husband's Hypothetical income, he's actually laid off right now. So we're just living on our current income. So some of it is like Bobby, you've got your son's going to be staying with two other, I'm assuming two other roommates. So you're already splitting the cost.
0: Yeah, college classmates. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So they're splitting the cost. I'm assuming you're not footing the bill for all of them. And the rent was
0: very reasonable because of what's going on in New
3: York City. So we got a very good. So you've got a good deal. Yes. Right. So right now, before they even start going, this is what I did before I bought my house is I I test ran the budget. So whatever the difference between what I was paying in rent and what would be the higher cost of what I need to spend, I started test running it now, taking it out of my income and just setting aside into my emergency fund. As for here, I mean, like you said, there's always some places you can find, I shouldn't say always, almost always places you can find good deals. The question is whether or not it's somewhere you're willing or feel safe to live. But there's other areas you can save in, you know, cook at home, make low cost meals, prep your meals if you can, do your own laundry. I have a friend that dry cleans everything, you know, look at all of your costs and see what you can, what you can make more efficient.
1: So Jamila, you do a lot of financial counseling. You have a 20-something getting out of college, talking about wanting to move to New York or other high cost of living area. What do you tell them? Go for it, don't go for it. Is it worthwhile? Is it not worthwhile?
4: Well, I'm a dreamer and risk taker. So I, I, at that age, would go for it. And it depends on that kind of person's mindset and their trajectory and what they have planned. But, you know, I think it's... Living in New York and making it or in a high cost of living area, income, like Kathleen said, like that is like the basis. Like, I think most of us here are, who are making it and having progress, like not just staying stagnant with our finances in life, but like actually, you know, you're buying homes and, you know, investing and do all the things that we like doing, part of that's mostly because of our income. So it's like choosing the right career that has the right, you know, kind of ladder to climb when salary is important. I also think that, you know, from my experience too, like I have a lot of friends who don't earn a lot of money and they're still in New York. Some of them were lucky enough to have subsidized housing. So that's the other thing where it's just like, if you're not going to earn a lot of money, if you're not in a field that has that potential, then you have to find ways to save on your your living expenses, mainly where... the mortgage or rent, you know. And so I think it's really important that anyone who's either planning to come here or is planning to stay here either gets real clear on on how they can grow their income and or, you know, maybe they will be that person that only spends 30, forty thousand and In a high cost of living area like New York, the thing about it is this, yes, there's a lot of expensive options, but you also have a lot of options that are not as expensive. So there are also a lot of cheap like food options and because of the diversity where you can actually save in a lot of areas, too. So you just have to know all those things, get tapped into communities like this podcast so that you can like start being aware and knowing like how to make these decisions for yourself.
1: So it's clear from the conversation that if the question is, should you live in a high cost of living area? Certainly the answer is go for it. There are many ways to evolve and make it work and many opportunities to be had, but also this idea that when it's time to leave, It's okay to pick up and go when your life changes and it's appropriate for you to start a new adventure. I'd like to end this episode the way I end each episode by giving each guest a chance to tell us what's up next in their life and where we can find them. Farnoosh, what's going on in your life and where can listeners find you if they want to learn more?
2: Well, I've been having a lot of fun with the podcast at moneypodcast.com. I've been doing more on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and check out my recent writing at nextadvisor.com and on Bloomberg. Thanks for having me.
1: Bobby, what's up next in your life and where can we find you?
2: So first of all, thank you also
0: for having me as well, and thank you everyone. It's so nice to do a podcast with friends like this. I am hard at work on my two podcasts, Money with Friends and Financial Grown Up. I'm also working on my next book, which is a parenting book called Raising Financial Grown Ups, and it's aimed at older children and helping them get into the realistic world of managing their finances as young adults. And I am working. Farnoosh is coaching me a little bit. That's a little behind the scenes on my instagram so please follow me on instagram at bobby rebel and the number one bobby rebel one and help me send me ideas because i'm working on it i'm working on on being the next farnoosh Sharabi of instagram or, or getting learning tips from her you know what i mean she's she's great definitely follow Farnoush and then also follow me and jamila and kathleen and you John G, everyone thank
1: you and kathleen what's going on in your life and where can people find you if they want to know more
3: Well, I'm actually winding down my blog. I've got another side project that I want to start ramping up. But if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my blog, cookingupfire.com, or you can find me on Doc G's Facebook group, the Earn Invest Facebook group.
1: And Jamila, where can people find you and what's up next in your life?
4: Yeah, so if you're listening to this podcast, you can find the Journey to Launch podcast. That's my podcast wherever um, you listen. So Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or go to journeytolaunch.com. I'm also active on social media. So I'm at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I most hang out on Instagram. Follow me there. You know, I, I encourage everyone. And if you're on this journey to financial freedom and independence, and you you're on this journey. I call you a journeyer. So, you know, come join the tribe, become a journeyer. Um, Let's connect. I love, I love talking to journeyers.
0: And I have to mention Jamila is part of our cast of money with friends. So definitely please everyone tune into all the money with friends episode, especially the ones with Jamila. They're always among our most popular. So we're honored to have her as part of the money with friends family as well.
1: Well, normally I would sign off here, but I can't help but torture you guys with a few more quotes that I found notable before we end the episode.
2: I like my money right where I can see it, hanging in my closet. The fact is, sometimes it's hard to walk in a single woman's shoes. That's why we need really special ones now and then to make the walk a little more fun. Maybe you have to let go of who you were. it? Makes it- to become who you
1: will be. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Bobby Rebel, Kathleen Hudgens, Jamila Souffrant, and Farnoosh Tarabi. That's a wrap.
0: You know, what we do, honestly fun is we walk in the park which is free. Yeah. you're
1: right by central when park Harry man. was younger
0: like we didn't get into this but like infinite free activities through the museums and the cultural resources and well yeah that's, that at the end like there's so much i did with that kid for free
4: and that's what i was trying to get at too with like the choices even like you know food choices and yeah. places to eat like you know you can still get i mean the pizza's is ridiculous $1. i remember it was a dollar no. fifty now it's two dollars but you can still eat for two dollars here yeah, you know, but, um, no, I
0: used to take into a film class right in Dumbo and we would just spend the day walking around just doing stuff. and everything is free. Like yeah. maybe you pay a dollar for that carousel. Maybe I don't remember, but like, it's just beautiful. You can just, it, there's so much in New
4: York that is literally
0: free or even and, like corporate sponsored.
4: Right. And I think the other thing, I don't know if we probably, we didn't really touch upon it, but the part of it too, like in these bigger cities are there, uh, they're more diverse. And so sometimes when you move to these smaller towns, less expensive, like from like someone like me, you know, yeah, of course I can like, you know, move somewhere there's minorities and it's like us not as many um, you know, people that look like me, but that's important to like right. me and raising up my family and my kids. And so part of that too is um, just the diversity. You get more diversity in big yeah.